Welcome to Indie Matters, the podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm your co-host, Jacob Solis. And this is our last new episode of 2022. We wanted to thank you for listening to us every week, chatting about all things Nevada. To wrap up the year, the reporters here at the Nevada Independent are going to be going over what they followed in 2022 and what they're going to be following in 2023. We also say goodbye to assistant editor Jackie Valley as she takes on a new job. And I chat with DC reporter Gabby Birnbaum about Nevada's as one of the first states to vote in the presidential primaries. And while this is our last new episode of the year, we're going to have three episodes for you over the next three weeks with our favorite podcast pieces from 2022. All right, Jacob, well, to start off the episode, we are actually going to chat, the two of us, and I'm going to ask every reporter what their favorite story was that they reported on this year. And so I'm going to start with you. What was your favorite story that you got to report on this year? Oh, there are so many to choose from, Joey. But actually, you know what? I'm going to go with uh, something from the Senate race. I was just keeping tabs on the Senate race all year long. What a doozy. And as part of that, uh, I drove up to Ely, Nevada with our photographer, Jeff, and we just followed uh, Senator Catherine Cortez Masto around. She, a Democrat, going to talk with uh, Republicans out in rural Nevada. And just a fascinating snapshot of of what the race looked like at that point in time. Nice. Yeah, I remember that story. It was was really fun. So I'm also curious, what was kind of the biggest hot-button issue that kind of defined 2022 for you, looking back on it now? Well, I think it's difficult to view anything that's not the lens of the Senate race. And I guess in that context, the only things that people really wanted to talk about after a certain point were the economy and uh, to a different extent, abortion, right, because of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And uh, you know what? That never really stopped. I guess the entire year it was sort of a push and pull between those two things. And so, you know, we're wrapping up 2022 now. So in 2023, what are you going to be paying attention to in your reporting? Well, in 2023, I'm being shipped in a box to the Great White North, a place we call Carson City. Uh, And I'll be covering the legislature as part of our uh, NV Ledge team up there. So that, I guess my answer is the legislature, Joey. All right. Well, I, I look forward to seeing you up here, actually. Starting next year, you will actually be hearing Jacob and I from the same room. We normally record these intros and these discussions over the phone. Thank you, Jacob, for being on. And we'll hear you in the outro. All right. Godspeed, Joey. All right. Well, I'm here with reporter Janelle Calderon. Hello, Janelle. Thank you for joining me in the Year in Review episode. Hey, Joey. Happy to be here. We're asking everyone, what was their big story from 2022? So for you, what was kind of the biggest story that you worked on? Well, I would have to say what took a lot of work was doing the on the records with candidates. I had two weeks of on the records back to back, and that's everything I published, basically. One of my favorite stories, though, I mean, it's always you know, my Hispanic Heritage Month stories. This time around, I got to feature a traditional horse dance performing group. (laughs) And a lot of the tradition is based on the Mexican Revolution. And even though it is a Mexican tradition, you know, the group is open to anyone and everyone. And you could really see the passion and friendship that these girls build. And I love it. I love featuring those type of stories. Yeah, and we actually have a really cool video that you filmed as well, right? 
Yes, all on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> it was very well done. It was really cool to watch. And, and it's it nice that we had the video too to kind of supplement and watch them do all the, the, the horse dancing. So 2022 is wrapping up, but 2023, I'm sure there will be plenty of news. While it's not an election year, there is the legislature. But what are you going to be paying attention to? Well, this year... I did a lot and I learned a lot. I covered a little bit of everything, you know, from education to healthcare to politics and the election. And it made me realize that I want to focus more on the community and build the relationship with our community and readers. So I'm going to be focusing more on the Hispanic community in the new year. I got a new title. I am now the Hispanic Community's Reporter starting the new year. I'm just really excited to have those new stories, new voices, serve the community with our local journalism and with some, you know, politics and policies sprinkled in because that's how we do it at the Indy. All right. And next up is Daniel Rothberg, our environmental reporter. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Joey. Yeah, you've been on the podcast a lot this year and you've been doing a lot of reporting. You've been very busy in 2022 and I'm sure you'll be very busy in 2023 as well. But let's start with this year. What was kind of the most interesting story that you reported on in 2022? I'd say the most interesting story that I worked on and probably the most, the, the one that took up probably the most amount of time as well was our series of stories on Nevada gold mines and the merger of Barrick and Newmont, two large gold mining companies that have long histories in northeastern Nevada, and what the effect of bringing those two operations together under one roof has been for the economy, for workers. And it's a story that we're going to continue to follow into the new year. Yeah, it was a really big story. We actually did a podcast reading of the story, um, which you can find a few a few episodes back. Yeah, did you have any other stories that really stood out to you as well? Yeah, I, I got to do a lot of really rewarding and interesting reporting this year. One of the more memorable reporting experiences I had was waking up early in Reno and driving down to Stillwater National Wildlife Refuge and observing the bird count and learning a lot more about efforts to create habitat to improve population numbers for shorebirds and waterfowl in Mulhanton wetlands, which is a just really unique wetland complex and ecosystem outside of Fallon. Well, you've talked a little bit about 2022, but what are you going to be looking towards in 2023 as you're kind of looking for more stories to report in the coming new year? I think looking into 2023, I'm going to be continuing to follow the impacts of multiple years of drought and what that has meant for water supplies, for ecosystems, all sorts of issues across the state. So I'm going to be continuing to follow that with probably a particular focus on the Colorado River, given the uncertainty of low water levels at Lake Mead and Lake Powell. And next on the list of reporters in no particular order is Howard Stutz. Howard, thanks for joining me. Anytime, Joey. Happy to be with you. Yeah. I've been asking everyone, and I'll ask you the same question. What was your favorite story that you did in the past year in 2022? Actually, the favorite story involves, I went to Colorado, went to all the casino communities, and the biggest operators there are all Nevada-based companies, including Monarch Casino Resort out of Reno, the owner of the Atlantis. And they built an amazing property in, in Blackhawk, and it's kind of transformed the market. It's now kind of like created like a little bit of a destination resort. So it's a real, a real interesting market. That was a fun story to work on. Yeah, yeah. And what was kind of something really big that was in the news for gaming in 2022? 
Well, you know, what's interesting is gaming revenues have been the biggest news. You know, Nevada is going to be another record year for gaming revenues following 2021. But the interesting fact was in February, Las Vegas Sands completed the sale, $6.25 billion sale of their properties here in Las Vegas, the Venetian, the Palazzo, and the Venetian Expo Center. Las Vegas Sands no longer has a casino in Las Vegas. They still have headquarters here, but they're an Asian-centric company with their casinos in Macau and Singapore. They're out of the market altogether now, and we'll see if they ever come back. Well, looking towards the future now into 2023, what is kind of the big thing in gaming that you're going to be paying attention to when you're doing your reporting next year? Well, at some point next year, Fountain Blue is going to open which has been under construction for forever. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was basically, you know, 16 years actually going to open next at the, toward the end of next year. I think the funnest thing to look forward to next year in Vegas is the Formula One race to see how they pull this off, closing off the strip, doing this at night, three-day event. That will be fascinating to see because that'll be toward the end of the year, around the end of November. Next up, we have Naoka Foreman, who is our intern extraordinaire. Naoka, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And so the first question I want to ask is just, you know, what was your favorite story that you got to report on in the in 2022? My favorite story was the Beacon story. So that was about the Black graduation that happens every year for Clark County students. And this year it was at the Thomas and Mac. It was really large. And I was able to interview one of the students who sang at the graduation. She was suffering from mental illness and she was pretty open about it. But she she stayed strong and finished school despite her struggles. Yeah, yeah, that was a great story. I remember that one. And then also now, you know, we've we've made it through the election and then we've made it through most of 2022, you know, a couple of weeks left here. But what are you looking to report on in 2023? What are you going to be paying attention to? Um, I would like to f- keep focusing on child care, cannabis, the cannabis industry and, and how those um, social use lounges will unfold in Nevada. And I'm hoping to get some coverage on veteran affairs. You know, how are we addressing the needs of veterans? How are we treating it like a healthcare issue? Okay, and up next, we have intern Carly Savageo here to talk about her favorite story of 2022 that she got to work on. Um, My favorite story was probably my profile on Jamie Rodriguez. She's the interim registrar of voters for Washoe County. It was just fun to look into a position like that that I don't think is usually humanized and that has been kind of attacked recently. I was just really proud of it. And it was fun to talk to Jamie and get to know someone who is in on a lot of governmental meetings, but you don't usually get to talk to one-on-one. And then talking about this next year in 2023, what's one thing that you're going to be paying attention to, you know, that's going to be a big thing in the news in your mind? Well, we just got done with our legislature meeting. So I would kind of like to get like a local government spin on that is kind of what I'm looking forward to right now. Alrighty, well, next on the docket here is Rocio Hernandez, our education reporter. Rocio, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, glad to be here. Yeah. And so we've been talking with everyone about what their favorite story was from 2022. So what was your favorite story from the past year? It's always hard to pick a favorite story because it's like asking me to pick a favorite child. And that just feels so unfair to my other children. But I was just thinking about this earlier today. And I just say one story that seemed really, really close and fond to me this year was actually a graduation story, which I know they can be cliche, but I, I thought this one was particularly special. 
it was on a Las Vegas school that is specifically catering to new immigrant students who have been in the country. They're all still like fairly new to the American education system when they come into high school. So like, I mean, it's all these things, right? Like you're typical, like you're still a teenager going through all these teenage typical things. And then you're thrusted into this American school and you've got to learn English and you've got to graduate, which like all just seem like really stressful situations already and throw all of that a pandemic into the mix. And that's what these students that I profiled experienced during their years of high school. I thought it was a really nice story that showed just like the perseverance of these students, you know, having to come to a new country, start your life over and still like you make it to this graduation stage. And it's like the culmination of everything that you and your family has worked for. What else was kind of the big thing in education this year that you were paying attention to? So I think the first and like the thing that has been the theme of all last year, and I think it will continue to be prevalent for next year, was school safety. That was one of like the very first major stories that I started covering for The Independent when I started here around March. We saw a lot of school violence and particularly fights in CCSD going viral on social media. Really, the issue escalated sometime around May, which is when we heard that an El Dorado high school teacher had been sexually assaulted and brutally attacked by a student. After that attack, it ramped up. They started announcing that they would add new safety measures, implement stuff like panic buttons, reinforce security measures around schools. And that's also an issue that our governor-elect, Joe Lombardo, is looking at probably for next year. I'm not sure of the likelihood of what he can do as a Republican governor, since Democrats still hold a lot of power in the legislature for the year to come. But one of the things that he's looking at is repealing a law that asks schools to implement more measures around restorative justice issues, which basically means alternative disciplinary measures and not necessarily go for punishment. I think there is support from some teacher unions and they want funding to come along with this law. You know, it's so more like improvements as opposed to just getting rid of it altogether. But again, we'll see what comes in the next legislative session. All right. Well, up next, we have video producer and soon to be visual content editor, Tim Leonard. Tim, thanks for joining me. Great to be here, Joey. Yeah. And so I've been asking everyone, you know, what was their favorite story from 2022? And I'm going to ask you the same question. Well, my favorite story from 2022, the one that I personally had the most fun working on was following a group of veterans who were marching through Nevada desert, carrying dog tags on their back, one dog tag for every service member that's died since 9-11. And it's something they've done a couple of years. It got a little bit messed up by COVID, but this year they had an event down in Las Vegas and they also had an event up in the north. And it was really great to be able to follow them, march with them and talk to them about their personal stories and military history. And then about the journey that they went on to to kind of create this event to bring people together and kind of remember what Memorial Day is about. All right. Well, and also I want to know, what was one thing that you really paid attention to in 2022 in the news? The thing that I think we covered that I think was most interesting to me about like news is the ballot initiative questions. We made a couple of explainer videos on kind of what they mean for the state. And the one that I found most interesting was question three, which creating open primaries and ranked choice voting, which would really radically change how people vote in Nevada. 
Well, and then the last question that I've been asking everyone is what are they going to be paying attention to in 2023? I'm really interested in what seems to be a resurgence in the labor movement. I know Fight for 15 starting kind of like 2010 with fast food workers. And I feel like that's kind of morphed into acknowledgement that service workers, rather than just manufacturing workers, could benefit from joining unions. We've seen Starbucks, I think in the last couple of years, unions have started to crop up at Starbucks stores across the country. And it's a really interesting dynamic with workers who were traditionally seen as like high school kids or something like that, kind of grouping together and asking for more from these companies. And I think that that's gonna be a really interesting dynamic going into 2023, especially if the economy starts to shake a little bit as it looks like it might. Well, next up, we have reporter Sean Galanka. Sean, thank you for coming on to the end of the year episode. Good to be here, Joey. I I cannot believe it's the end of the year. It has flown by. I know, right? 2022 is already gone. And I I, I feel like I was still messing up and writing 2021 on my whatever I was filling out. (laughs) (laughs) So for 2022, what was your favorite story that you got to work on this year? You know, that's a tough question, Joey. I feel like there's so many things that I've worked on. It's been a busy year with the election. You know, so I'll I'll steer away from the election because I figure I'll be talking about it more with these other questions. But the I think it was the the July edition of of what I wrote for this economic focus series I've done. It has some strong tie-ins with the economic indicators dashboard that I've worked on uh, so diligently over these past however many months. And so I think that was the one that started with road to recession and had some other thing in the headline about what economists were saying about the economy. I just like kind of working on those stories where I get to take a look at the economy and just really, you know, step back and look at the bigger picture, speak with some economists and kind of get a sense of of where things stand. So, you know, speaking of kind of that full picture, what was one defining news item that you kind of felt like, you know, was kind of an example of 2022 for you as a reporter? Yeah, well, this goes back to something I've been reporting on, really what was happening in rural Nevada with these election administration changes, these election conspiracies, basically what Jim Marchant and and the likes of Joey Gilbert were doing. Ultimately, it culminated in a, a pretty hefty piece that I wrote uh, or finished writing in, in October, basically about how rural Nevada is the next battleground for the big lie. It was something I was reporting on probably more, more than a year throughout the process of that reporting and through that final story, I was able to shine a light on that topic well. So... So now looking into 2023, what are you going to be paying attention to in the coming year? Yeah, well, exciting news for, I I guess, people who might not know yet, but I'll be moving up to Carson City during the first half of 2023. I'll be at the legislature covering the session, covering what's, what's going on in state government. I'll probably be particularly focused on budget stuff. Definitely anything that's going on with the state budget is something I'll, I'll be paying close attention to. Alrighty, well, I am here with reporter Gabby Bierenbaum down, down across the across the nation in D.C. Hello, Gabby. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Hi, Joey. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, we always start with the weather when we're talking to people in D.C. So how is the weather in D.C. right now? A little cold, but not terrible. It's like 40 out right now. Nice. We have snow here in Reno, but it's crusty and icy now. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So we're going to be talking about Nevada's status as the quote unquote first in the nation. And and so to start off, you know, we hear that term a lot when talking about this particular topic. What is that? What does that mean? 
So basically for years, both the Democratic National Committee and the Republican National Committee have had the same nominating schedule when they do their primaries to pick a presidential candidate. So traditionally it's been Iowa first, New Hampshire second, Nevada in the 2000s got moved up to third, and then South Carolina fourth. And that was the quote unquote early slate before Super Tuesday, which is when most states vote. So those four states have an outsized influence on picking the candidate because several candidates, if you can't get enough delegates by that point, you're going to drop out, which is what we saw to Elizabeth Warren, to Bernie Sanders after Super Tuesday. And then Iowa for decades has had this honor of being first in the nation. So they have this really big culture of these quirky events that politicians go to, the Iowa State Fair, and they, you know, take their duty as being the state that gets to first vote and pick a president pretty seriously. But after 2020, the Democratic National Committee decided to change their calendar on a few different criteria. One, because the Iowa caucus was kind of a mess in 2020. They had an app that broke. People were waiting around forever. We didn't get results immediately. And then also Iowa is one of the whitest states in the country. So they wanted more voters who end up really making a general election for Democrats who make up the base, voters of color, to have more of a say in picking which candidate they're going to be electing in November. They wanted more competitive battleground states, states that any Democratic candidate would have to win in order to win the general election. So like in Nevada, a purple state like Nevada or Georgia or Michigan, which which both ended up getting elevated into the early slate. So basically, they got together in D.C. to set the nominating calendar and Nevada ended up moving up to second in the nation. A lot of people wanted it to be first. The Nevada congressional delegation was pushing for that. I'm state leaders. So I think in that sense, it was disappointing. But it is still an elevation for Nevada to get moved up to second. And because of early voting, which Nevada has in such a robust way, South Carolina is now first and essentially Nevadans will be casting ballots at the same time. So there's going to be plenty of candidates coming to Nevada, doing those kind of quirky events, meeting with people in diners at, you know, fish fries and what have you. And it'll elevate Nevada in the national political conversation even further. All right, cool. So so what what happened, right? What, we were supposed to be first in the nation. You know, everyone was talking about, <laughs> oh, Nevada's going to be first. Everyone was super excited. We were talking about it at the legislature. So why are we now number two behind South Carolina? Well, yeah, I was hearing the same thing at the beginning of the last week of November that it was really going to be between Nevada and New Hampshire, Nevada and New Hampshire. And then Joe Biden, who was just about the only person who can really say something and the Democrats are just going to fall in line, came out with this proposed nominating calendar. He decided to elevate South Carolina to first, hold Nevada and New Hampshire concurrently second, drop Iowa completely, and then do Georgia fourth and Michigan fifth. And that would be the early window before moving into Super Tuesday. A lot of people look at South Carolina as the state that made his campaign in 2020. If people remember, it looked like Bernie Sanders might be able to win the nomination. Biden went on to win South Carolina, which has a much higher percentage of Black vote than those other three states. And then he used that momentum to sweep most of the Super Tuesday states, knock off any momentum that the Sanders campaign had and head off any challenges. And Biden really owes his candidacy to South Carolina. So a lot of people think this was kind of a favor to move South Carolina first. You know, maybe he looked at the guidelines and really felt like South Carolina was the state that met most of the criteria. A lot of Nevadans were upset because the DNC said they wanted a battleground state and South Carolina is a Republican state, much like Iowa, which is one of the reasons that Iowa was demoted. But it will give Black voters a chance to weigh in first. And a lot of DNC members said they feel like the new nominating calendar accommodates a lot of different groups that'll be really important to any Democratic candidate's ability to win a general election. You know, Black voters in South Carolina, 
Latino and union voters in Nevada, more union voters and swing voters in Michigan, suburban white women in Georgia, for example. There's a lot of different groups that they're catering to with this schedule. But it was really, if you want to blame someone for why Nevada didn't get first, it's Joe Biden's fault. <laughs> ah, well, thanks, Joe. I really appreciate it. Um, right. Bump, thanks, bump Joe. Down to number two. <laughs> and also, just to just to clarify, too, this is just the for the primary and not the the general election, which all happens the same day. This is just for the Democratic primary. So the Republican yeah. primary, Nevada will still go third. Well, Gabby, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today and breaking this all down. And uh, we'll have you on the podcast again soon. Enjoy the uh, the chilly weather out in D.C. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, well, I am here with assistant editor Jackie Valley, sadly here for the last time on the podcast. Jackie, welcome to the show. You've been my editor for for a year now, and you've been helping edit the podcast, but you're uh, you're moving on, right? Yeah, it's bittersweet. Today's my final day at the Nevada Independent. I've accepted a new position as an education writer for the Christian Science Monitor. So I will be starting that next week, actually. I've loved my time with Indy, though, so it's change is good, but it's hard. Yeah, for sure. We're, we're we're sad to see you go, but we're really excited to see what you do in the future with your new position. You've always been an amazing education reporter, and, and, and I know that you're going to do amazing stuff with the Christian Science Monitor. But let's talk a little bit about your time here at the Indy, actually. I wanted to know just kind of, you know, you were one of the original people at the Indy, right? How did you end up here as the assistant editor and helping out with the podcast and all this? Yeah, so I was one of the the original crew from when we launched in January of 2017. So I've been with the Indy almost six years now. I started as the education writer for the Indy and did that pretty much for the first five years. Covered a few other things as well during that time. And then in the past year, transitioned to an assistant editor role. So it's been super gratifying seeing the Indy grow during that time. And we look so much different than when we first started. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's definitely, we've grown from a staff of seven to a staff of, I, we're in the 20s now, I think, 2025 maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's tripled, quadrupled. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about, you know, you have been an editor for the past year or so, but let's talk about, you know, back when you were a reporter and what was your favorite story? I've been asking everyone for the end of the year episode what their favorite story was that they got to do this year. But for you, I'm going to ask, what was your favorite story that you ever got to do here at the Nevada Independent? Well, I have two that come to mind and they're very different. Probably my most favorite is when I spent a year in Sunrise Acres Elementary School and chronicled the year in the life of that school, showing all the like the challenges, but also some of the successes the students and teachers were having. It's an urban elementary school in essentially downtown Las Vegas. And at the time it was doing really well academically, but they were also dealing with funding cuts and just all the many needs of an urban elementary school in this country and particularly in Las Vegas. So it was our photographer, Jeff Scheid, and I spent pretty much a day a week there for an entire school year and got to see so many heart-wrenching, heartwarming things. And it really, I think, shed a lot of light on to how schools were operating at ground zero, being in the classrooms and seeing, you know, at one point there was, I think, girls from fourth or fifth grade coming into a first grade classroom to borrow books because they were still reading at a first grade level. Um, and so these are some of the challenges that they were experiencing. There's lots of poverty in the area. One staff member was fostering one of the students. It was just a whole collection of stories. And that's like ultimately what we told with it. And then you said you had a second story that you also really stood out to you, right? 
Yeah, well, the second story had nothing to do with education. This one was just more fun. So during the pandemic, as everyone knows, the Las Vegas Strip shut down for 78 days, and that included all the casinos. So when they were reopening, which was totally new to them, they'd never shut down. There was a lot of prep work that had to go into it. And so I got to tour multiple casinos as they were preparing for that reopening. And it was just something that like I never thought I'd see, like being in a casino that's mostly empty, but walking by dealers who were cleaning the poker chips to get them ready to have at the tables again. And there was this cute anecdote about how the the real flamingos at the Flamingo Las Vegas casino had been really distraught when all the people were suddenly gone. So then they were wondering how they were going to deal with having people come back into the casino. So it was just really interesting to be able to have that experience. And then it was just a fun story to write. Well, looking ahead now, too, at the Christian Science Monitor, what, what are you kind of looking at when it comes to national reporting on, on education? Yeah. So, I mean, it'll be a jump for sure. Now I'll be looking at it from a national lens. But I think a lot of the same principles apply. You want to talk to the people at the ground level, you know, the parents, the students, the faculty members. I'm excited to see what's happening in other parts of the country and hopefully tell those stories that resonate with readers and maybe foster some change in the education system. Well, we're really excited to see those stories coming from you in the future. I-, I think that you've gotten to foster a lot of really amazing stories here on the podcast. I mean, every story that listeners hear on the podcast goes through Jackie, and she's really helped uh, bring the podcast to a, to a really amazing level. And so we're really going to miss you, Jackie. But hopefully you've enjoyed working on the podcast as much as we've loved having you here. Absolutely. It's been so fun, Joey. And I am going to miss all of our conversations and chats about it and reading the scripts, but I'll still be listening. So... <laughs> Keep up the good work. Thank you so much. And we'll have uh, uh, assistant editor Michelle Rendell is taking your place for the time being, helping out with the podcast. Michelle used to help with the podcast before you were an assistant editor. So the podcast is in good hands. Nothing's changing too much. But, you know, other than the the light touch of, of Jackie Valley. So, Jackie, thank you so much for being here and being on the podcast and doing all of your wonderful reporting and all of your wonderful editing. You'll be missed very much, but we'll still get to read your writing in the future. And we'll talk to you, you know, maybe in the future. We'll have you on as a guest. Yeah, thank you so much, Joey. Well, that's our show for you this week and this year. Thank you for listening. This show is produced and edited by me, Joey Lovato, with additional help from Michelle Rendells, my lovely co-host Jacob Solis, and of course, the inimitable Jackie Valley, who will be missed dearly. If you want to support the show, leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. You can also email us at podcast at the Our theme song is from Emily Pratt, and we have additional music from Storyblocks, June Pearson, and Joey. We will have some new episodes for you in the new year and some best of episodes to hold you over until January. But thank you for listening to Indie Matters, and we'll talk to you in 2023.